Hebrews 10 verse 19 says this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're still in this series of body and soul, and we've got today's message, and then we, we're finishing off next week. Uh, it's been a hope it's been helpful for you. Uh, it's certainly been helpful for us as we have uh, studied these things and looked at how incredible it is that God has given us bodies to enjoy him and to enjoy each other. And today we're looking at the embodied church, how important it is that church is a physical thing. And we're living in a day and age where you can go to work, you can order food, see your friends, seek a relationship, see the latest blockbuster, and go to church without leaving bed. Isn't that amazing? And the rapid improvement and innovation of, of technology has allowed us to do so much more than ever before from the comfort of our own homes. And in the days of a pandemic, we have done all that we can to help reduce the spread of infection. And one of the strange and most difficult things that we had to do was uh, the challenge of, of meeting as a church online. And it's not the first time in the history of the church that they've had to temporarily stop meeting together. Uh, history tells us that in 1918, there was the Spanish flu epidemic and churches decided to, to not meet together uh, in order to stop the spread of that. And in, in the Second World War, when there were um, bombers flying overhead, uh, churches didn't meet because of the blackouts that they were observing. But when the epidemic of the Spanish flu finished and when the World War finished, the churches reopened at once. Normality resumed. But the difference today, however, is that being with, with God's great gift of technology, and I, and I do want to stress that this morning, that technology is a wonderful gift, but it has meant that we are able to, to enjoy a form of church using technology. We were able to listen to God's word being preached. We were able to hear songs being played. We were able to pray for each other. In fact, as we got used to church being online, we realized it came with some perks. We could stay in our pajamas. Wonderful. We could sit how we wanted. We could snack while church was going on. We could maybe uh, chat to our family members uh, while church was, was happening. We could even pause the preacher so we can go to the toilet. Amazing stuff. But as the, the weeks and the months wore on, my hope is that you felt an ache and a longing to be able to meet back together again. 
And if we didn't meet together again, it would be strange, wouldn't it? Let me use another Second World War reference. Uh, let me use this analogy. So imagine it's the Second World War and a, and a brave husband has gone off to fight for his country and he's left his wife and kids at home. And the only way of them keeping in contact with each other is for them to write letters. And they write these, these long and wonderful letters expressing their love to one another. And they look forward to that moment of the week when the letter arrives and uh, years go by, maybe two or three years, he's abroad. And, uh, and finally, they hear news. The war has come to an end. Uh, the uh, troops withdraw and they're sent home. They're reunited with their families. But this particular husband and this particular wife choose that it would be better for them to maintain their relationship through letter writing. They think, I enjoyed writing these letters so much. I think it's best that we carry on our contact through writing letters. Now, you would think them very strange, wouldn't you? What am I getting at this morning? Well, the way that God wants us to worship him on a Sunday is to gather together in person, face to face, if possible, is that's God's intended way for us to worship. And when we choose not to engage with church because we have something better to do or more interesting to do, we are missing out on God's wonderful gift for us. And if we think we can get the same experience by settling for Zoom or by watching on YouTube, uh, my hope is that this morning we will see how God's design is for church to be enjoyed with one another physically. Sometimes we find ourselves asking, um, maybe our spouses or, or our friends or, or even ourselves, we find ourselves asking, why do people think it's odd that I go to church? Why do my neighbours look at me funny when I get into my car on a Sunday morning? Why don't my children think church is important? Why do they think it's boring? Uh, why do my friends think it's odd that I go to church on a Sunday? Might it be the way that we think and talk about church or where it goes on our list of priorities? Maybe that reflects of what we think of church. And what we think of church ultimately shows people what we think of Jesus. And if church comes way down the pecking order below our hobbies and below our social lives and below our exercise and below our comfort, then we're saying that Jesus is not important to us at all. And not being together with God's people on a Sunday has its effects. You see, church is not like banking or shopping, where the online experience will do the same thing as, uh, as it is in person. Those are things you can do, I think, more efficiently at home. You don't have to deal with with uh, kind of arrogant people uh, telling you, oh, you can't take that much money out. Uh, you've, got, you've only got 50p left in your bank account. And that's, that's frustrating me. So I, I, I'd rather deal with that at home, thank you very much. Or, or shopping. I, I hate shopping. So the, the fact that I can do that at home and do the groceries from the comfort of my own living room is, is great. But virtual church is not the same thing. It's not how it ought to be. The church is the church when God's people are gathered together. 
And I say this uh, sensitively, I hope, because I know there are those who are vulnerable and those who are possibly isolating or for whatever reason cannot come today. I don't want guilt to be the thing that you leave with this morning. What I want you to leave with is a sense of wonder at Christ and his church. And uh, God has given us our bodies and our senses in order for us to be able to see, to be able to feel, to be able to hear, to be able to touch, to communicate, to taste. And we cannot do these things on our own at home. And we're living in a day and age where the individual takes precedent over the community. And this is a different to uh, how many cultures do it over the, across the world and how the rest of history have done it. And you uh, hear these sentences that you would probably not have heard of, um, you would not have heard in days gone by. My faith is just between me and God. It's a, it's a private thing, people say. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I can read my Bible, I can, I can listen to podcasts, I can follow Christians on social media, can watch videos. I don't have to deal with everything else. But if we're doing this, we're missing the point. If we stop meeting together as a group of people, as God's church, then we're missing out. That's why we read from Hebrews. Let's read it again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. With all those things that I mentioned before, when you're watching a film online, when you're watching, um, when you're shopping online, when you're banking, all those things are, are as a consumer, you're doing it, you consume something that has been tailor-made for you to enjoy and to keep for yourself. We do not come to church as consumers. It's not only what we take from it. We come to in order to give. The writer is saying, come to church in order that you can give to one another, that you stir one another up, it says, encourage one another. The reading we had from, from Sam, from uh, 1 Corinthians, where Paul tells us that individual believers are like parts of a body, each playing an incredibly important part in the role of the success of the body to function. And the various parts of the body function only when the whole body functions as one. Listen to this again. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. All were a single member. Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. See, the body as a whole is an amazing organism. But only when all the parts are taken care of individually. See, it's not a case of individual versus community. It's both together, isn't it? Or think of the image Peter talks of in, in 1 Peter, if you can cast your minds back to 1 Peter, when he said, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, stones on their own are of no particular value. If you see a, a random brick there, it's, you, you think it's, it's been left there, uh, just been disregarded. But when they're gathered together by, by a master builder, then they're truly special, aren't they? It's a, it's a house. So how can we best use our bodies as Christians to build up the church and to give God the glory? How can we function as a body? How can we function as a spiritual house? All these images help us to understand. And I want to look at just various things that we do on a Sunday morning and how we use our bodies in order to encourage one another and to point to Christ. So firstly, let's think about the way we greet one another. Before a word has been read, before a, a note from the piano has been played, before a prayer has been uttered, we greet one another, don't we? We bless others with our greetings. And Paul tells the church four times, he tells the Romans and the Corinthians and the, and the Thessalonians, he tells twice. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Peter says the same thing. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, I know we've got an Italian here. Maybe we've got some other people here as well that, that, that kiss one another to say hello. And we don't kiss one another. I don't know. Something must have happened from mainland Europe in the channel to make us not want to kiss each other. And that's okay, isn't it? But you go to different parts of the world and you've got different, uh, different ways of saying hello. I was reading up about this this week in, in uh, Tonga, I think it is. They, they rest their foreheads against each other. So uh, maybe we can try that maybe sometime. Um, but there's a reason why Paul mentions it. And in those days, in, in that part of the world, on the, on the Mediterranean where Paul's right to, that's how they greeted one another. He mentions it three times because it's important. It's a way of showing genuine affection towards brothers and sisters in Christ. So whether that's a holy hug or a, or a holy elbow bump or a, or a holy handshake, we show Christian love to one another, Christian warmth to one another when we greet them. What makes it holy? What makes, what's the difference between a, 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 a kiss and a holy kiss or a, a handshake and a holy handshake? Well, it's, it's the motive behind it. It's done in order to show one another love and grace, to extend the same love that Christ has shown to us to others, to show others that they are precious to you. It should be done with a, with a pure motive. It should be warm and affectionate, affectionate rather than uh, cold and, and sarcastic. And we can, we can only do this in person. That was a big thing throughout the pandemic, wasn't it? That the lack of, of human contact. And you had those incredible images of, of, of people having to hug one another through plastic sheets or whatever. Hugs are amazing, aren't they? And, and shaking hands are wonderful, aren't they? No handshake emoji or a, or a gif of someone hugging can really do what these things do in real life. Uh, even a, a really nicely written text can't, can't, can't achieve that, that warmth. And so it's, it's for that reason that Paul tells people to, to greet one another with a holy kiss. And that's what we should do when we greet one another, maybe with our hands instead. So that's one thing. Secondly, eating together. Eating together is so important in the life of a church. And the Bible is, is full of examples of people eating together and sharing life with one another. And it involves preparing something, and it's costly in, in the time it takes. 
and the, the, the cost it takes to buy food and uh, the extra food and the, the time spent with people enriches friendships, doesn't it? And it's an opportunity to deepen our care for one another and for God. We see it from the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis, we read this. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. So for Abraham, it's, it's vital that they eat together, that he shows them that affection. Or think of Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. It's not so that they can play a board game together. It's so that they can eat together. Jesus was well known for his eating and for his drinking. In fact, some people criticized him for it. They said the son of man came eating and drinking. They say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And if you look at Jesus' life, he does eat and drink a lot. And that's not to say we're criticizing him as well. We're saying, look, it's important that we eat and drink with one another. I was looking at uh, some examples. He goes to Zacchaeus' house, doesn't he? And tonight we're going to look at a time where he went to the house of a Pharisee and he ate there. He had picnics. Oh, he loved picnics. He ate uh, with 5,000 people and he, and he fed the 4,000 as well. He often ate with his friends, Mary and Martha. On the night he was betrayed, he had the Passover meal with his disciples. And when he rose again, what did he do? He prepared a barbecue on the beach for his disciples. So food was important to Jesus. The early church, they broke bread in their homes. And while the last book of the Bible, Revelation, talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it's good news, isn't it? Food is a big part of God's plan for us to worship him. So whether that's the refreshments served after church, big pressure on today's refreshments team, or the lunches we'll soon be able to have here together. I've missed, Jill, I know you've missed church lunches and I've missed them too. Hopefully soon we'll be able to have them together here. And when we invite one another into each other's homes, Eating together is a blessing, isn't it? As we see the different colors, as we smell the rich aroma, as we touch the different textures, we hear the crunch of the bread and we hear the conversation and we taste the delicious food. It's, it's multi-sensory, isn't it? So may we able to say with the Apostle Paul, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Thirdly, discipling. And, and one anothering. I think one anothering is, uh, is a good way of, of thinking of what discipling is. And it's a few months ago that we were looking at, uh, that Paul was looking at one another, uh, the one another statements in the New Testament. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that Christian life is served, you serve alongside one another with, with other believers. And we're called to encourage one another. That's one of them. Um, in the Proverbs, uh, you see these statements. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, 
but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. You see, when we speak to one another, and we were thinking about this in the, if you were there at the men's breakfast yesterday, we were looking at James chapter three, and we were speaking about the, we're talking about the tongue and the power that our words have. And one of those great things is to be able to encourage one another. When we see someone who is, is down, who is, who is afraid of something, who is, is really struggling, we can encourage them with a word. Um, some of the other one another statements, to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, forgive one another, confess your sins to one another, bear one another's burdens. How can we do this best? Well, to do it face to face, isn't it? Um, both Paul and John in their letters to the churches, they talk about longing to see you face to face. Why? Because they know the most effective way to talk to people is face to face. It's not through letters. It's not through text. It's through face to face contact. And the battle in our hearts is sometimes convenience versus cost. What's this going to cost me? And life together is hard. Living the Christian life is hard. It means that we have to take time and speak to people. There might be awkward silences. We can't just put ourselves on mute. We're going to bump into people that we don't know that well, that we don't intend to speak to. But Christian love is costly. It's not easy. It's not always straightforward. It's often far from convenient. And yet we do it because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to carry them out. And we do it because ultimately it reflects the Lord Jesus, who said greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Every relationship that means something is costly. Marriage is costly, isn't it? It takes dying what, what you want to do to please the one you love. And it's the same with the love that we show to our brothers and sisters. It's a costly love. Uh, fourthly, uh, it's, it's an important thing to be able to listen, isn't it? We don't think of, of listening as something proactive. We think of listening sometimes as something completely passive. It just happens. Um, but one thing that was particularly difficult about, um, about Zoom was that it was very difficult to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, wasn't it? It was very difficult to be able to listen to someone else's, what they were saying. And it's, it's hard to listen um, when you're online because it's, it's difficult to pick up on someone's body language. So being together in person, you can, you can read someone far better than you do online. But I also want to think about how we listen to God's words because we're not bystanders in church. If you see church as... Uh, as a consumer and you come and you sit and you and church is just about receiving something then it's it's not going to work when we come we come to give and we come to to bless others as well as to be blessed and i want to remind you this morning that everyone here this morning is participating in worship yes uh, one person has, has read from the bible one person is currently uh, speaking from it but God is speaking to us all, and we are all listening. And that's why I think it's, it's unhelpful sometimes in some churches when you've got a spotlight and you've got a stage and some elaborate way of making the people at the front seem different um, because it can divert all the attention to the front. We're not consumers. We're all partaking in worship together as we listen to God speaking to us. Fifthly, 
prayer and praise. Singing is something hugely physical, isn't it? Our eyes see the words, our, our brains working out what is being said, our, our lungs, our diaphragms filling up, traveling up through our, our larynxes with our tongues and teeth making different noises. And it's wonderful to sing, isn't it? And we're, we're singing what our hearts know to be true. When we're singing, we're not only singing to God, but we're singing to each other. When we're singing in church, we're also singing to each other. We're ministering to one another. My, uh, my dad went to, to Romania once, and he said one of the strangest things he found was that during the singing, they turned to one another and started singing to each other. And he found it incredibly weird the first time it happened. Um, and he tried to bring it back to, to this country. It was weird. We didn't like it. But it's good. It's a good thing to do. Because while you're singing, you are ministering to each other. You're saying, this is true, isn't it? This is true. We're encouraging each other and reminding those around us that we still believe this to be true. I've got the privilege of standing from the front, so I've got a, a better view than, than all of you. But there's, there's something powerful seeing others sing, um, especially when I know they face something really difficult this week. If I think, oh, they're facing family troubles this week and they're still singing and praising God. Oh, that's good. So-and-so is facing sickness and they're standing here and they're singing. Oh, that's good. And, and they're facing uncertainty about, about their job, about their future, and they're still singing God's praises. Oh, that's good. That's good. Do not underestimate the power of not only singing, but singing together. David says in, in Psalm 34, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And the next Psalm, Psalm 35, he says, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs of people, I will praise you. Yes, David praises God in private, but he also knows there's this added sweetness when we gather with God's people. And let's not also forget the wonderful privilege it is to pray with one another, whether that's uh, praying from the pulpit and, and taking part in that or praying with one another. There's something wonderful when you're in church and you've ended up chatting to someone you haven't spoken to them in a long time. And you talk about a colleague that you've been having conversations with and, and the conversations are going nowhere. They're being so spiteful to you because of your beliefs. And then and they in turn talk about how tough they're finding. Um, they're finding time to read the Bible so difficult. And rather than saying, oh, that sucks. And moving on, there's a wonderful opportunity there, not just to say, I'll, I'll pray for you in the week, but to say right there and right then, Let's pray for each other, not to merely commiserate each other on how frustrating these situations are, but to, to pray for each other there and then. Stop what you're doing and, and lifting one another up to God in prayer. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, but it's good, isn't it, to, to commit these things to God. And it, and it seems odd maybe the first time, but it, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing that we can do. And if people look at you funny, then you're in church. You're allowed to pray. God hears our prayers when they're in private, and he hears them when they're in public. But there is something encouraging for us as people, isn't there? When, when someone is praying for us, we're hearing our, our names being lifted up to the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, let's consider baptism and communion. 
Now, these are called sacraments. And what are sacraments? Well, uh, a clever guy called Augustine in the fifth century came up with this definition. They're an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. An outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. See, these things can only be done physically. Well, let's start with baptism. When, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, this is what he said. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, baptism and the, the, the baptistry that we have here is, is underneath me. It's a picture of, of the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who believers have been united with. You can't do that over a phone or by long distance, can you? Uh, it has to be uh, a symbol that is done in person with people witnessing it. Um, or think of communion when we partake in the Lord's Supper. It involves a, a physically gathered church, a group of persons from different households, the different members coming together as the body in an act of physical sharing of the bread and the wine. And in 1 Corinthians 11, um, Paul narrates the Last Supper. And it's, it's no coincidence that he goes on to talk about the body later on. Um, but he repeats this emphasis of being together. This is in verse 18. Uh, I hear that when you come together, verse 20 he says, when you come together, and in verse 33, when you come together to eat, it's time and time again, he's reminding them that you're supposed to be together when you eat, not taking it and going home or, or never coming in the first place, but come together. We show our unity in being together in the Lord as both individuals, as we eat the bread, and as a church, as we drink together. It's very much a physical act. Um, we, we feed upon Christ in whom there is everlasting life. When, when uh, Jesus had just uh, done that amazing miracle with the, with the bread in John 6, he said this, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. There's nothing special about a special type of bread or a special type of wine, is there? It's, it's in the promise that we have from the Lord Jesus Christ. That he's promised to sustain us and to keep us if we are found in him. And that's a reminder, isn't it, when we eat together. So as we finish, let me read these words from, from John Stott to you, an English preacher. He said, no worship is pleasing to God, which is purely inward, abstract and mystical. It must express itself in concrete acts of service performed by our bodies. See, our bodies are a gift from God in order to give praise to him. Well, we looked a few weeks ago, Paul, wasn't it? We looked at um, how we're to be a living sacrifice. And Sundays are a special day for us to be able to live it out. So let us see one another. Let us greet one another. Let's shake hands. Let's embrace. Let's uh, use our voices to sing. Let us loudly say amen. Let us use our ears to hear. Let us nod our heads in affirmation. Let's encourage one another with our voices. Let's eat communion. Let's eat 
biscuits together. Let's drink coffee, whatever we are doing. But let's use our bodies for the glory of God as a church. Let's stir one another up for good works. Let church not be something that we, we dread dragging ourselves along to, but somewhere we look forward to going to because we can encourage one another and point one another to Jesus. We know that, that Jesus cares deeply for his church, don't we? This is what Paul says to the Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ loved the church so much, he died for the church. If we want a reminder of how important church is, remember that Jesus died for her. So when we, when we, when we love Christ, his desires and his cares become our own. So as we grow to be more like him, we will care more and more about his bride, the church. Let's pray.